Good morning. Some of you I've never seen before in my entire life, and that's exciting to me. I don't know if it'll be exciting to you, but anyway. Um, I want to start by telling you that I have a grandson named Joe. He's 13 years old, and don't ask me how, but he got the idea that I'm old. (laughs) And we had gone to visit him. He lives in Nebraska, and he had bought a joke book for senior citizens. (laughs) Well, they, they really were kind of funny. And so as I was preparing this lesson... I just kept being reminded of one of these jokes. So I find that I have to start out today with you the exact way Paul started with the Corinthians in chapter 11. He said, will you permit me a little foolishness? Because I need to tell the joke. Okay, there was a man and a woman in a nursing home, and they found themselves seated across from each other at the supper table. So they began to talk, and they were getting along so well that he decided to just pop the question. And he said, will you marry me? And she said, yes, with all my heart. Well, the next morning he called her up, and he said, now I remember that I asked you to marry me, but I can't remember whether you said yes or no. And she said, oh, I said, yes, with all my heart. But I'm so glad you've called because I couldn't remember who asked me. (laughs) Thank you so much. I was so afraid you wouldn't laugh. Okay. All right. Well, now, as we have studied 2 Corinthians, the thing that keeps jumping out at me is the heart of the Apostle Paul. And I think, where did he get that heart? Could I have that heart? And we go back to Acts chapter 9, when Paul was on the road to Damascus. That was when he met Jesus Christ. And Jesus said about Paul, he's my chosen vessel. Well, if Paul was a vessel, Jesus Christ is the one who filled his heart and gave him that heart. So if we're content to be a vessel, then Jesus will fill our heart, and we can have such a heart. Now, I think that one thing about the Apostle Paul, I think he said, just like the woman in the joke, yes, with all my heart. He gave Jesus his complete heart with nothing held back. And that's what I want to say today and you want to say, yes, with all my heart. So um, we're going to look at five things heart today, and we're going to end with some practical ways to get that heart. So the first thing we see in our lesson is the betrothed heart. Paul said as their spiritual father, he had betrothed the Corinthians to one husband, Jesus Christ. Now, do you remember that day that Jesus Christ held out a nail-pierced hand to you and made you the offer to marry him? If you're a Christian today, if you're saved, then you're part of the bride of Christ, and you have a betrothed heart. Now, I have never in my life thought about the fact that my heart is betrothed to Jesus Christ today. I'm preparing to be part of that bride. I'm making myself ready. He's helping me to do that. And that is our first heart, that betrothed heart. 
And the next heart we see is that Paul had a jealous heart. He had a godly jealousy, a divine jealousy over the Corinthian believers. He cared intensely about their spiritual welfare. He never wanted any of them to forget who asked them to marry him. He wanted them to be faithful to their one husband, Jesus Christ. He cared enough to write a severe letter. He cared enough to make a painful visit to them so they would not be deceived and run after things that were false. You know, I have a spiritual mother. She's in this church, and her name is Sarah Butler. And she invited me to my first ever Bible study. She invited me to my second Bible study. She invited me to my third Bible study. And she stayed with me, watching over me, until she saw that I had a betrothed heart. And when I was maybe like seven or eight years old in the Lord, Sarah Butler called me up and asked me to come over, and she sat me down, and she was, was tearful, and she had been very prayerful, and she said, Mary, I believe that you're making a mistake in about what you're about to do. I believe you've heard the voice of the enemy. I believe he's come to you as an angel of light, and I just want to warn you, confront you, and try to call you back. Well, I believe myself to be in the will of God. I'd ask God to confirm it over and over, and I felt like he had, and I didn't change what I was about to do. But I never forgot that Sarah Butler loved me enough to confront me that she cared intensely about what happened to me. And I, I saw her two weeks ago. I said, do you care if I share that? And she said, no. And she cried again. And she said, Mary, after that day, she said, for years, I felt like I had to hold my toe in the door of our friendship to keep the door open. I felt like you were trying to close the door on our friendship. See, she risked our friendship to do that, but she had to be obedient and leave the results to God. Now, what about our friendship today, 30-something years later? I would cut my arm off for her if she needed it. That's how faithful God has been. So, let's just do a little heart check. Do you have a jealous heart? Do you care intensely about those that God has put in your path for you to watch over? Will you confront if you need to? Will you call them back? And then I think there's a, a fourth one. Yesterday, and this came out of my prayer group yesterday, um, someone was talking about the jealous heart of a parent who is absolutely willing to lay down on the floor with their body in front of their child to not let them out the door to run off into sin. And I thought, oh, I've got to have that. That's a jealous heart, and how can it start with a C? Because you see the first three did. And so someone came up with casting yourself down to keep someone from running off into sin. So that's a jealous heart. And one thing that a jealous heart is jealous over, the goal of this jealous heart is that we would develop a guarded heart. And that's our next heart that we see in Paul. 
Paul was very sad that the Corinthians had tolerated the false apostles. They'd come in to deceive them as the serpent deceived Eve. So what is deception? Simply admitting a lie into your mind, believing that it's the truth. I found out from Suzanne Verbus just two weeks ago that I've believed a lie all my life. She told me that Audrey Hepburn is not the daughter of Katherine Hepburn. All my life I've thought she was. They're not even related. You know, I guess I should have known. I always tried to figure out how they looked alike. But it just shows you uh, that's not important to my spiritual destiny. But it just showed me that I can believe a lie. And we're never home free until we see Jesus Christ face to face. So how was Eve deceived? Well, the heart of it, the serpent talked her into believing that God was not good, that he didn't have her best interest at heart, that he wanted to withhold something from her that would be good for her to have. How did the false prophets try to deceive We're not given details in our lesson this week, but basically another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel. What is the truth about Jesus? He's fully God, fully man, and he's serious about sin. What is the the Holy Spirit? What is the, the right spirit? A spirit of truth, a spirit of liberty. Paul mentioned that they had allowed themselves to be put under bondage, Are you in bondage? Is anyone or any group of people putting you under bondage? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. We do have commandments, but we run in the way of those commandments because he sets our heart free. Another gospel. There are many ways to share the gospel, but one gospel. There is no other way to God but Jesus Christ. So... um, How do we guard our heart against deception? When I was a new Christian, I thought, how am I ever going to learn enough about all these false religions to keep myself from being deceived? Well, we don't have to know everything about all these false religions, but there are two things that we can do. I mean, there are many things, but I'm going to mention two. The first way is by prayer for you and those you love. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, will lead us into truth. We can ask God in prayer to reveal deception and falsehood to us. There's a a young mom in my Wednesday night group named Heather Classy. I ask her permission. She has four young children, and she often turns in a prayer request that God will guard her children's hearts. She's taken the stewardship seriously. She has a jealous heart over her children. And she she asked that she might be able to learn spiritual warfare and teach this to her children. So prayer. The second way is by taking in the truth of God's word. Now, you've probably heard this example, and you've probably even heard it more than once, but there are two people in here who haven't heard it. So I have to give it. How do they teach people to recognize counterfeit money? They never even see counterfeit money. 
they just show them the real stuff, the weight, the look, the feel. And then if they ever encounter counterfeit money, they're going to know it instantly because they're steeped in the real thing. So we steep our hearts in truth. We become so familiar with God's word that when anything false comes along, we just know it because we know the truth. Well, the next heart we see in Paul is a trustworthy heart. What did Paul feel like when he realized the false prophets were attacking his character? One thing we've learned, we learned this in Ecclesiastes, there's a time to keep silent and a time to speak. Paul is showing us when we need to speak up and defend ourselves against false accusations. Now, Paul um, pointed to his credentials, and I would have thought he would have simply argued truth. But I thought about this, and he couldn't say, do you realize these things I've written to you, they're they're part of the inerrant, inspired word of God. Um, This is truth. But you see, that was five centuries down the road. They didn't have the Bible as we have it. And they also didn't have strong Christian examples that they could look to. Paul was the first one to bring the gospel to the Corinthians. So it's so important that he had protected his testimony, that he had a strong testimony. And that's true for us today. I I don't think about that so much. We know God can forgive, and we know that God can restore. But how much better to have a, a pure testimony that he was able to point to And Heather um, Floriani mentioned a couple weeks ago that the character and the teaching are all intertwined. We don't want to be taught by someone whose life cannot back up what they're teaching. So it was important for Paul to come in and defend himself. Now, there are four things that we saw about Paul's trustworthy heart. Many things, but I grouped him into four groups. And, and think about this when you encounter someone, when your children encounter someone. These are just marks that someone is authentic. The first thing, he sought their welfare. He taught them for free. He carried their needs. He carried their concerns on his heart. He even endured personal suffering that he would be able to teach the Corinthians. The second thing, okay, <laughs> I've got them numbered one, two, three on here in A, B, C, and I skipped two, so I don't know how many there, there, there are anymore, sorry. Okay, um, I am teaching in my weakness, and that's for sure. Okay, um, the next thing, Paul told them, the liberating truth. He did not put them under bondage. And Paul 
would not compromise the truth. They wanted unity. The false apostles wanted unity with him. They wanted everyone to think that they were the same. But Paul said, no, I'm not compromising the truth. And we have, James tells us that the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. And you can't have peace if you don't have purity. Paul would not compromise on truth. The next thing, Paul exalted Jesus Christ. He made much of Jesus. You know, when we look at false religions, they usually have some strong leader like Branch Davidian or Jonestown. He makes much of himself. But Paul made much of Jesus Christ, and this boasting was only reluctantly when he was forced to do it. So he exalted Jesus. The next thing we see, Paul displayed the power of God. God had endorsed him as an apostle. The way that God had delivered him when he was let down in the basket, the day, the way that God allowed him to be caught up to the third heaven. And the last heart that we see in Paul is a reconciled heart. By a reconciled heart, I mean that Paul had a heart that had no unresolved issues with God over the things that God had allowed in his life. A reconciled heart goes deeper than a resigned heart. A resigned heart says, okay, this is my lot. I have to have it. I can't do anything about it. So let me just martyr myself and drum up all the pity I can. A reconciled heart goes deeper. It is able to grasp the grace that God is always holding out for us and give God the glory. Now, we don't get a reconciled heart instantly but we move that way toward always lining our heart up with God is allowed. And we know that we can reconcile our heart because God is only good. And he won't allow anything in our lives that's not from his hand of good and not for his good purposes we know he is absolutely sovereign. You know, my, um, my cat had to have surgery last Monday. He had his thyroids removed. Cats have two. And so two days after that, when he would speak to me again, I was holding him, and I was saying, Oh, Silas, please always be my cat. Please don't ever stop being my cat. Do you, do you not know that I will never do anything that's not for your good? I, I mean, my heart is so for my cat. And he can't always understand, and it's just such a picture over and over again. We can't understand what God is doing. We can't understand why this would be good for us. But God knows. So what did Paul reconcile his heart to? Well, the first thing is suffering. Back in Acts 9, Paul said, God said, Paul, 
is chosen, chosen vessel, and I will show him how much he will suffer for my sake. Paul was really chosen for suffering, and he had had so much of it, and he had long made peace with suffering. I mean, it was a privilege. He had seen that it was a privilege to endure suffering for the sake of Christ. But what about the thorn? The thorn was a little bit different. In spite of what we don't know about the thorn, there are things we know. The source was Satan, and Paul prayed three times to have it removed. And when God said no, then God enters into the picture, and the thorn became useful for God's purposes. And what was God's purpose? To keep Paul from pride. Satan's desire was that the thorn would cause Paul to give up and turn away from God, that it would be so difficult. But God did not remove the thorn because it was useful for his good purpose to keep Paul from pride. How valuable is humility to God. God thinks humility is more important than our comfort. God thinks humility is more important than our pain. God will allow anguishing things in our lives so we will never think that we have gotten beyond our need for total reliance on his grace. Paul, being caught up to the third heaven, he could have easily thought, yeah, I've really arrived. Look what I've achieved. God loved him too much to let him do that. When Paul reconciled his heart to the thorn, he said that he would glory in weakness, that God's strength would rest on him. So what about weakness? What are weaknesses? Weaknesses are not sins. They can't be sins because we never embrace sin. And we are told in this passage to embrace our weaknesses. Well, their experiences, their situations, their circumstances, wounds, their even weakness, the, the limitations that we find ourselves, that we have. And in, in verse 10, Paul lists insults, hardships, persecutions, calamity. I look around this room and just the ones of you that I know, I know these things are in, yeah, we deal with these things. These things are hard to bear and these are things that we can't remove. We'd probably remove them if we could. But we can't remove them either because they're beyond our control or because love will not allow us to remove them. And we ask questions like, why? Why can't I find a job? It's humbling not to find a job. Why am I trapped in this marriage? Why does my dad have cancer? Why can't I have children? Why can't I be smarter? That was mine that I just had to put in. And our deepest need, we think our deep need is quick relief from these things. But God knows 
that our deepest need is to experience his strength as we go through them. Now look at, look at Paul's progression in our passage. His first response to weakness, take it away, Lord, take it away. And then he began to see that he would receive the weakness because he wanted to display God's divine power. Notice the order here. When I am weak, then I am strong. The weakness comes first. The weakness is the prerequisite for the display of divine strength. Why will God not use human strength? He won't work through human strength because then the glory would go to humans. He'll use us in our weakness. And you know, I think, oh, I really want God to use me. And that is the prerequisite that we embrace our weakness. When and only when I am weak, the grace of God comes. And then I become strong in his strength. What was Paul's final response? He is content with weakness. Now, maybe your Bible said something else, but we look at this word content, and, it's, and it means well-pleased. He got all the way from wanting the thorn taken away to being well-pleased with it. It's the same word used in the scripture in Matthew 3.17 when God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well-pleased. So Paul got all the way from take it away to bring it on. He was really ready to glory in that weakness. What is the greatest example of weakness that we have ever known? It's the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus Christ allowed himself to be nailed to a cross. And he remained there until the work of love was done for us. And girls, that is weakness. If you're dealing with a thorn or a hard situation today, know, you can know this, there is purpose. God, you are entering into the great purpose of the God of the universe and what he's doing in your life. So you can reconcile your heart to this wonderful God. God's design, as John, a quote from John Piper, God's design is to make you a showcase for Jesus' power. How do you like that? Okay, so the last heart that Paul had, and this is the yes with all my heart, heart. You know, when I came to know Jesus Christ, I don't know if I gave him my whole heart. I think I probably just said, Lord, I'm giving you as much as I have to so you can get me out of the mess I'm in and save me from sin and take me to heaven. I, I don't know that I had any idea that God wanted to take it all. I mean... Everything, God wants it all. And I can say that that is my heart's desire today. I've gotten to know him. I know he's trustworthy. I know he's good. 
I know he's faithful and sovereign. And I want to give him all. And there are areas, when I realize that there are things that I'm holding back, it grieves me because that's my loss. That's my loss if I'm not giving it all to God. So um, I begin to think about how we do that. And I think, first of all, we just do it. We just yield it up and we say, God, take it all. And I don't think we just do that once. I think we do that over and over again. I think we, we live there because we take it back. And I saw, after we did that, I thought, pra- practically speaking, and this was on page 167 in your book. Did y'all, y'all notice? I hope you noticed this. Um, this was not exactly in our in our scripture, but it was in our lesson. So I thought I could legitimately teach it today. But Kelly Minter said four things on page 167. And she was talking about how we get the secret wisdom that the world is looking for. Well, these four things are also the way we get Christian maturity. They're also the way we get a heart like the Apostle Paul. They're the way that we have a stable walk with Jesus Christ. And so I I just thought about a tent, because Paul was a tent maker, and um, a few weeks back we talked about our bodies being tents, the temporary tents that we live in here on earth. And when you put a tent down, you put four stakes in the ground. And that evens it all up, and that makes it lay flat. And what happens when one of those stakes comes up? Well, you might not even know it unless a wind comes along, and and then you'll know it. But I thought we need all four of these things in our lives to keep us stable and keep us pressing toward this heart. And so here they are. We, deepen, we, we cultivate this heart by time in the Word of God. And I, I'm talking about time in the Word of God. I'm talking about letting the Word of God wash over you and change you into His image. We quicken this heart by prayer. As we read God's word and we pray through it, these things begin to come alive in our lives. These are in your book, so page 167. So anyway, we deepen this heart. We go deep when we have fellowship with other believers, the iron sharpening iron. And then we reveal this heart in greater degrees in our lives through our obedience. We take one step of obedience and then we get light for the next step of obedience. Now there's there's nothing new about this. These four things, we need all four. So just take this as a checklist today. Are all four of these things present in your life? Because your tent may blow over if you're missing even one of them. And I just, I thought she said that, thought she said that really, really well. And um, so I think about saying yes 
yes, with all my heart. What will, what will that mean for us today? What, what would that mean? Is there anything that you're aware of that God is asking you to say, what, what time is this Bible study over? <laughs> okay, goodness, I shouldn't have left all that out. Okay. Um, um, what would it mean if we said yes with all my heart today? I, I've been thinking about this because I've gotten to have Letty staying with us in our house. And Letty Gaetan is a, a third-generation Klopaneco believer. Her grandfather, Katerina, was the first-ever believer from that tribe. And Mr. Limley, a missionary from this church, was like the Apostle Paul. He was the spiritual father of that tribe. And I was just thinking about this, and I looked on the Internet on, on Saturday, and the Internet site that I looked on said that we still have 7,000 unreached people groups out there. Um, that would be just the groups. If you looked at the unreached people groups in the differing, maybe there's, you know, this group is in four different countries. If you look at it like that, 13,000. And who, who's going to go? Who's going to be the spiritual father to those people groups? What if someone hadn't, hadn't come to me? Um... So when you think about that, perhaps a yes with all my heart might mean that someone might be a spiritual father to a yet unreached people group. Or maybe there's a totally different step that God might ask you to take today when, it, when you say yes with all my heart. So um, I trust that we will all say that today and that we'll keep on saying that and that we'll cultivate these hearts. And I pray that we will never forget the one who asked us to marry him, that we will live in the light of that. So let's pray. Okay. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for your precious word. Lord, thank you for being willing to betroth the women in this room to yourself. Thank you that we have that blessed hope of that day when we will be joined to you as your bride. Lord, may we keep ourselves pure and spotless and ready. May we protect our testimony and guard our hearts today. Lord, may we develop trustworthy hearts and may we reconcile ourselves to the hardest thing that is in our lives today, knowing that it is from your hand and part of your eternal purpose for us. Lord, we would say yes with all my heart today and every day of our lives. For Jesus' sake, amen.